Courtney and I have never met in person. Instead, we've connected through virtual meetings. We quickly realized that Betty and I enjoy brainstorming together about ministry, faith, and life, and that we have a lot to learn from one another. A virtual time together has felt similar to sitting down with a friend over a cup of coffee, something that feels so foreign since the start of the pandemic. We found ourselves talking about life, theology, and asking all the big questions without ever having to leave with any answers. So we decided to turn this cup of coffee experience into a podcast. We're building a platform that invites others to ask the big questions you don't always feel comfortable asking. We'll use wonder as a tool to dig us out of these questions and help us reimagine our ways of doing ministry. So grab a cup of coffee or beverage of your choice. We'll let wonder percolate together. My name is Courtney Von Lindert. My pronouns are they, them, and theirs. And I work in the Methodist church related of ministry. And I focus on advocating for LGBTQ inclusive spaces in the church, specifically as it applies to young people through the ages of 14 through about 25. And hi, I'm Betty Wing, and I um, also serve with the United Methodist Church, focusing mostly uh, in supporting non-majority groups, um, what we traditionally call ethnic ministries, but then also um, hopefully um, bringing a new lens to our systems and seeing how we can ensure um, we have equitable space and work on social issues. And my pronouns are she, her, and hers. So, Courtney and I are percolating wonder. And Courtney, I cannot believe that we are here in this space um, doing this. I'm so grateful, excited, and nervous at the same time. But I can't believe that only a few months ago, um, in the midst of COVID-19, we met through our work and have done a couple presentation projects together and realized that we have a similar curiosity about ministry and here we are and i'm so grateful for a space um, a colleague to think things through and ask questions and see how life and ministry might intersect and um, how to live out our calling in this time and space yeah, I am with you, Betty. I'm also equally excited to be here and working on this project together. I also kind of forget that we haven't actually met in person. Every time you bring that up, I'm like, what do you mean we haven't met? Uh, which <laughs> I think is awesome. I love those kinds of connections, those kind of uh, work relationships, friendships, however you want to phrase that. And I'm, yeah, grateful to call you a colleague, a friend, mentor in a way. Um, yeah, and I I'm excited to see what we bring here and into this podcast, into this platform, and how we ask questions with each other and with our listeners and explore possible answers. I know when we've talked about this, that in launching this podcast, we weren't looking to give the answers for anything, to provide necessarily solutions, but to be a little bit like Jesus and just ask some questions and get people thinking and get ourselves thinking and give ourselves and others the space to start having conversations with one another, especially in a time when 
having any kind of dialogue seems nearly impossible with everything being so polarized mm -hmm. today. Yeah, I was thinking about our kind of title, Percolating Wonder, and it makes me smile because I think it's two words that have come up in our conversations so often. Um, I think you had re re uh, have recognized that or lifted up that I use the word percolate a lot as I'm thinking and staring at the ceiling. And then um, you use wonder and I, you know, you often say, I wonder about this or that. And that, I so appreciate, appreciate that because it gives us a time to pause and to feel like, okay, we don't have to have the answer right away, but there's the space that we can take to think through. And, um, and for me, that is really life-giving. So I'm excited that we can kind of put those two mindsets together to percolate and to wonder and um, have that kind of be our foundation for our conversations moving forward. Yeah. Same. I'm stoked. <laughs> <laughs> so I think for our first conversation, we wanted to talk about the importance of having difficult conversations within the church. Um, and we have over the last few months talked about um, in our specific roles, these are difficult conversations. So not within our roles only, but just in general, right? Why it's so difficult to have difficult conversations in, within the church. And so I've been thinking a lot about why that is and how can we begin to carve out space within our churches to have difficult conversations. Um, so I wonder, you know, in your experience, why having difficult conversations has been so difficult? Yeah, I think that's a great question. and. I agree when it comes to the church and ministry, we're not always great at navigating conversations in regards to politics, in regards to social movements. I think more often than not, um, and I'm actually borrowing this thought from one of our interviewees from my other podcast, Mountain Sky Prophets, but I think, mm -hmm. you know, when we go to church and we get involved with ministry, we're there to nurture our souls and our spirituality. Um, mm. And I don't think that's the entire point of church and ministry, but I think that's what we all paint church and ministry to be is a place to be spiritually fed, um, spiritually nourished. And mm. because of that, and kind of the way that we use spiritual bypassing in our world and our churches and anything re regarding spirituality and faith, we forget that sometimes spirituality involves dealing with the hard stuff, with the challenging stuff, with the dark stuff, with mm -hmm. the things that cause us grief and make us feel grief. And I know that when I think of difficult conversations, the first thing that comes to mind is talking about race and racism, especially in America and white supremacy and how it is so embedded in our culture, especially our church and Christian culture. And we just aren't ever taught, whether that's in, I remember like in school, we're not really taught about how to talk about race or racism. You know, the idea is you're not supposed to pick on other kids, but that's about mm. it. We don't address like mm. some kids just have different skin colors and this is normal. We don't talk about the history of the United States um, and our history of oppressing others and um, especially black people, indigenous people and other people of color and using them for the white man's gain specifically. We just don't talk about it. And then as a result, as you get older, 
I feel what happens then is we still lack the tools to have these conversations. And so when it comes up, we just freeze or we run or we get defensive and we get angry. And in the church, when that happens, we risk losing donors. So the people who are going to yeah. give us $5,000 every month, um, we risk numbers. And so we start placing more value and worth on the money that we're going to get instead of the community and the healing that can happen mm. in our church spaces. So yeah, mm. I guess that would be my answer to why these conversations are so challenging yeah. for us to have in in Christianity, especially. But I don't know what mm. you might think differently. No, I really appreciate you mentioned like sometimes church is the place to nurture. That really stuck with me. You know, and I remember when I was going through college, we were trying to find analogies, you know, for what church is. And some would say like, yeah, church is the hospital. And then no, no, church is supposed to be like the gym, right? And this was like, you know, a long time ago. But but like you mentioned, there's this mentality or expectation that church is that safe, quote unquote, space, that it is a place to retreat away from you know, the, the difficulties of life in the world, right? And church is the place where we receive the good word and that is hope and peace and joy. And, and those are all important things. That's important stuff for the church, but perhaps that has also contributed to not creating a space for difficult conversations. And so as I was listening to you sharing and talking about this idea of, you know, church being a place to be nurtured, it also reminds me, that you know part of church is that we are taught to be kind and nice and to get along right and then and within our um even in our meetings you know um, what does it mean to play well with one another and those are all things that need to happen i mean i've been in church situations where it's hostile and bullying and of course we don't where that's not what we want to be but I feel like it's like this kind of either or. It's like you, we can't have a difficult conversation and also think that that is a way to do it in a kind and respectful way. Either we avoid difficult conversations or we have difficult conversation and somehow that seems inappropriate or not the place to have conversations or that, that if we leave with disagreements or without answers that somehow we don't want to be in that place or have that space within within the church. Um, so I really appreciate what you just said. And now I'm really thinking about, um, you know, the values of our faith and how can that also fit in with um, having difficult conversations and Maybe it's because when we talk about different difficult conversations, we always think it's political. And when we think of politics, we think of sides. And when we think of sides, we think of who's right and who's wrong. And that we want to be right or prove and tell others that why they need to come on our side. So all that language and mentality maybe has influenced the way we feel about having difficult conversations in the church. I don't know if that makes sense, but those are things that's percolating in my mind. Yeah. 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 No, I think that makes total sense. And you, know, you brought up this idea of creating sides, especially in 
I mean, it's in politics, it's in sports teams, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like whatever side you're on, like somebody has to be right, somebody has to be wrong. Yeah. And we could discuss that all day long and never come, I think, to a conclusion of what that looks like. But even then it's in the church and thinking again of our values of faith, which in a little bit, I kind of want to ask you um, in your mind, what do you think those values are? But uh -huh. when I think of those values in faith and church and Christianity in my own upbringing, especially in Methodism, it's this kind of idea that it doesn't matter what side someone is on, like we're still mm -hmm. called to serve them in some way. Uh -huh. And I think that can be challenging when you're facing somebody that you have a disagreement with, whether that's over human rights or politics mm -hmm. or how to interpret the Bible or which color for the church carpets are the best, mm -hmm. things like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And so I guess I'm curious then in thinking of like faith values, like how would you define those values? Because I know, I think mm -hmm. all of us would define them differently. What immediately comes to mind is the strong influence of me growing up. And so this is my own undoing. My upbringing, and I grew up in the church, um, that there was always a right and a wrong. When it came to faith, when it comes to Jesus as my savior, or kind of the other side, that there is a right and a wrong way to live. There's always a right or wrong way to make the decision when it comes up, whatever those decisions may be, big or small. And so one of the values growing up, I feel, was making sure you're on the right side. And so part of what I am undoing or trying to investigate is how has that influenced the way um, I've lived out my own faith and how I interact with others. So I don't know, I don't think that I have that same value as faith is not just about finding out what's being on the right side, I guess, in the sense of I'm right and you're wrong, right? So I think that I'm trying to undo that or interrogate that a little bit more. Although I feel like there are convictions, right? I mean, I have clear convictions of what it means around, you know, social justice issues as a person of faith. But yet that right and wrong and salvation and making sure we're doing the right thing and out of that judging others, if they're not doing the same thing or coming up with the same answers as I am, I think can cause a lot of harm and cause big barriers to having deep conversations and difficult conversations. So I would say one of the values of my faith now is journeying that there 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 is the seeking and always wanting to to learn and knowing that I can't do it on my own so tying it back to difficult conversations is that my faith is not necessarily in a vacuum um, and nor should it be because we are created to be in community and if we're talking about social justice it's not, my life isn't in a vacuum. My decisions and my interactions are with others. So that ties back to, you know, how to have difficult conversations. My, my faith is 
continuing, hopefully, keeping at it and learning and growing, and that I'm not in a vacuum, which is so different from what I grew up. Like, faith is so one way or the other. I guess I'm having an aha moment, Courtney. And then the, the other thing, too, is it's just you and God. <laughs> so the conversations I'm having is just between myself and God. And so now I'm in a place where I'm learning, nope, maybe there is more like something different that my conversation, my faith is not just between me and God. It's my, me, God, and others, which then will put me in, in conversations that are uncomfortable and difficult, but necessary. And that my faith is continuing to be worked on. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, toward the end there, when you're bringing up kind of the conversations you know, that you have are between you and God, but at some point it's between you, God, and others. And I think sometimes it's just so hard for us to know when God is speaking. And I know that the spirit speaks to each of us differently. And I'm just thinking in my own experience here. And when we talk about having these difficult conversations and thinking back to the idea of being right or being wrong and as individuals, I know when I'm in a difficult conversation, it's so hard to see the other side of someone when I like so firmly believe that I am right, that what I'm saying is true, that there's no way that this other person has a better opinion about the color of carpet in the church. We'll just use that for an example here because I think it's a pretty mellow one to talk about. Mm -hmm. And I, and I could have conversations with God about that all day long. And I could still potentially even manipulate God in, in those mm. conversations to say like, no, God told me that this is right. And I believe that God told me that this is right. But then if I have a moment where maybe God is speaking differently, or maybe I missed where God was speaking, I'm just thinking of times when I feel as though God has kind of called me in an opposite direction than mm. what I previously believed mm. and I wonder if that's somehow it doesn't play into how we have conversations and navigate mm -hmm. these mm -hmm. conflicts and this tension with one another, mm -hmm. especially in community work, ministry, church-based, whatever, and what that looks like in when maybe, maybe you actually got it wrong, or maybe I actually got it wrong, and that idea of having to almost repent for it. And I mm. think like we're people, like we don't like to do that. There's a lot of shame wrapped up in that. Mm. We don't want to admit when we've mm. made a mistake. And mm. yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of thinking about that. I don't have a direction to take it, but that's just what came yeah. up when you were talking about okay. some of those things. Yeah. And I think, you know, we're talking about the importance of having difficult con conversations, right? And how do we create space for that? And as I'm hearing you talk about it, there's these other things that I think creep up in our, you know, church culture is judgment, you know, afraid of being wrong or saying something that people might think, well, gosh, you've been a Christian for 10 years, 20 years, a lifetime. Shouldn't you know better? You know, like all these things that make us um, uncomfortable. Um, and so how do we within the church create space so that we can break down some of those barriers, right? So in anti-racism work, and we've been doing this um, spiritual journey, spiritual pilgrimage together, and we've been using a poem from Mickey Scott Bay Jones, and it says it's an invitation to brave space. And I so appreciate 
Mickey's Scott Bay Jones voice in this is because safe space is important, but she says that, you know, safe space is not really real because the, the truth is difficult conversations are not going to feel cushy and safe that we're going to mess up sometimes and we're going to be hurt sometimes. And there's all these things that potentially can happen, but yet we're committed to doing it together. And so that invitation has helped me put my guard down and then I hope helps me less judge. And then I hope that all of us can do that for ourselves and one another so that we can have difficult conversations. But so much I feel, at least in my own upbringing within the church, it's almost wanting to always look like we have it together, that we have the right answers, that we know everything. And we surely, if we're a faithful, good Christian, we should know, right? I mean, at least that's my upbringing. And so it's scary to kind of let go of some of that. So offering grace to myself, less judgment of others. Hopefully we can have brave space to share and to listen deeply and be less uh, prone to judgment. How about you? Do you, in your experience of church, was your experience different from mine or similar or some? And yeah, how has it shaped you around difficult conversations? Yeah, so I think it was definitely a bit of a bulk and um, I would agree that there's kind of that expectation, again, to be good, to have it right, have it all together. And I think of that as a Christian in the Christian context of what it means to put that emphasis on always being good and like forgetting that we're still people we're not perfect. We're not godlike. We're gonna screw up. And I would almost argue that I think this is controversial. I think that God would screw up sometimes. When we read the Bible, we can find times where we might disagree with God. So I don't think God is totally perfect. And I'll get myself into trouble over that, I'm sure, someday. But, you know, we tend to put all this emphasis on being good and doing the right thing and looking great that we forget the room for sin and grace. And when I think of sin, I just think of, you know, screwing up. That's it. Um, I think it's inevitable. I think it's something that, you know, we're all bound to do. But I don't think it has to be this extreme thing of, I don't know, breaking a commandment necessarily. But, you know, we're, we're bound to hurt somebody um, on accident or in some cases on purpose. But there's so much room for grace within all of that and not grace in the sense of, oh, I did this really bad thing, but it's fine. I'm still a good person. Like, I think the grace still comes from, you know, recognizing like, ooh, what I said or what I did wasn't okay. And I need to own up to that. And I need to make that apology. I need to acknowledge that with myself and with this other person, if I did harm this other person, whatever that looked like. And I need to make that commitment to doing better. And I think as a church, we need to better model that. Like we need to be willing to own up 
to our mistakes and try harder to do better and make better commitments. And not just the classic, here's our blanket apology statement, we acknowledge what happened, and then we just carry on as with business as usual. It to me looks like we need to rebuild where we are and what we've been doing. Um, so I think, especially in the Methodist church right now, and I know racism is a huge part of it, colonization is a huge part of it, and even just homophobia, transphobia in the church, knowing our decision that we made um, in 2019, this isn't a chance for us to turn around and say, oh, we're sorry we did that and not do anything about it. For those of us who have been harmed, especially allies in that, need to say like, this went wrong. There's a history as to why. So if like, what does it look like to rebuild something new um, and to put, I don't wanna say the right people in leadership because I'm, again, like we're all perfect. I don't think there are, we're, we're not all perfect. I don't think there is a perfect person to put in all of this, but you know, it's the classic, we're gonna repeat the same mistakes if we don't look to those that we have harmed and not in a way of tokenization, but of like, I want to invest in your leadership and in your knowledge and in your power, um, whatever that looks like. And yeah, so I don't know if that totally answered your question, but that's where I took it, so. Um, you're talking about the church modeling and that that's I think important because I feel especially now if anything maybe the the narrative that the church has is that um, we're not modeling it well if anything that the church is divisive and a place that does not nurture um, brave space for difficult conversations and so this is an opportunity or a call for us as the church to lean into and have the difficult conversations and to model it, um, model it for, for our communities. Um, yeah, thanks for that. And I think sometimes with that modeling too, and wrapped up in that fear is kind of that loss of that loss of power or that loss of privilege, um, which yeah. is a huge conversation in anti-racism work for sure. But, and I think it comes back to like local church levels. And I know it's hard depending on the context you're in. So if you're a very small rural church and if you have one big money donor that is essentially keeping your church afloat, I can yeah. understand why the risk is so much higher for you yeah. to lose that income. But if you're, and this is just me thinking, like if my ministry were just built off of one person's donation, then my ministry isn't doing what it needs to, I, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I think we just need to be more willing to, yeah, lean into that tension, embrace uh, the brave space and the difficult conversation, and essentially trust that God's going to get us through it. Like, yeah. maybe yeah. this is a little bit of spiritual bypassing, but I wholeheartedly believe that if we're doing whatever it is that God's calling us to do, the doors are going to open. Like we're not, we're not going to totally sink. We'll still rise above it, but we have to be willing to take that chance, I guess. I don't know. I don't yeah. know what thoughts you have around that. No, I think that's a great place to invite. The invitation is for us at local churches and our local ministries. Um, what I'm hearing you is the invitation to, to lean into 
difficult conversations to brace bases. And I really appreciate you saying that. And that's scary because it is um, letting go of some power. And that to me, as you were sharing that is the power of feeling that we know it all or that we are the authority of, of what that knowledge. And so instead of the dispensing of knowledge, like how can we be a place for um, discernment and, and deep listening and, um, and to model that, right? To, to truly, to truly model. And that is scary that, you know, when we talk about letting go of power, then that means that's vulnerable. It makes me think what um, of, I'm reading the book um, Resist um, with my children and it's like 40 people who, um, 40 or so people throughout history who have resisted, you know, and, and stood up to powers that are before them. And last night was Galileo and and how he stood up against, at that time, the church, which was the holder of knowledge, right? And so, um, so essentially what I'm hearing you saying too is that invitation to lean into difficult conversations. And the brave thing to do is to let go of some of that power. And perhaps God will, will be doing something. I trust that God will be doing something. Um, and my golly, if we let go of power, that means that's more room for God to do to do things. I mean that. I mean that's a something 101 I learned growing up that I will hold on to. It's like the more we hold on to power, the less room for God to be at work, right? And so maybe this is an opportunity and for our churches to lean in a difficult conversations, which then let, means letting go of power which I believe means leaving room for God and the Holy and God's spirit to, to move us in ways that we have not anticipated. Thanks, Courtney. Yeah, this is why we're here. These are the conversations that we have outside of this yeah. platform, this space. And I think that's why we brought it to something different and yeah. Yeah, we're hoping to share with others and think more yeah. deeply about and, well, I think I will be curious as, um, you know, I have the opportunity and grateful for the opportunity to engage with different ministry settings, local churches, um, to see what that might look like. Because you, as you said, like the area that we serve is so diverse. And so we have big churches, some very small churches, churches in big cities and churches in rural areas and all equally doing great work and important. And this work influences our communities in different ways. And so I'm looking forward to learning from others what modeling having difficult conversations look like in their settings. And before we head out, I'm just curious if you could offer one question for those listening surrounding okay. difficult yeah. questions for folks to kind of think on, what would that question be? And I'm putting you on the spot here. I would ask, so the action is to interrogate or to investigate your setting, whatever that mean, might mean, for what are the barriers that are preventing you from having difficult conversations? So what are the barriers? And 
out of that investigation or interrogation, um, maybe it would be those donors. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's um, time, whatever that is. So I would like to ask, what are the barriers? How about you? Anything up come up for you? I think the question I would leave for folks to percolate on, or using that word correctly, um, yeah. is what do you notice in yourself, like so in your body, when you find yourself in these difficult conversations? And how can that help you move toward that idea of brave space? Mm. That's a good one. Okay. I like it. Thanks, Courtney. Yeah. I appreciate the time to percolating and to percolate wonder together. Yeah, thank you. We'll look forward to uh, doing it next time. Yep. All right. Take care. <laughs> you too. Thank you for listening to Percolating Wonder. Be sure to like and subscribe or follow us depending on what podcast platform you're listening on. If you're tuning in on Apple Podcasts, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. And remember, tell your friends.